Good afternoon to everyone in our viewing and listening audience of BibleQuest.tv. We're happy that you're able to join us on this Tuesday afternoon and want to invite you to participate in our discussion. You do that by, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, to uh, use the Q&A or the chat button box and type away your questions or comments there. If you're coming in and watching the program from Scott, I believe we're on Scott's uh, Facebook page, please use the comment box there. And if you're watching, or I should say, if you're listening to this program as a recorded podcast, we're very happy that you are, and invite you to go to BibleQuest.tv when you can and enter in any thoughts, questions, comments on any of the program, this program that you've heard or any other program, or if you want to uh, give us some input on what you'd like us to talk about on BibleQuest, please give us your thoughts and your, in, in, uh, your feedback. So let me uh, bring in the panelists. I'm Drew, your host, and I'm glad you're joining us today. And we have Scott. Good to see you. Stephen, Rouse, how are you doing, Stephen? Doing well, Drew. How are you? Doing very good, thank you. And Jonathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's good to see you guys. Uh, let me just steal a little idea from Jeff. We used to do it. Jeff, on the Wednesday pro, uh, broadcast, he gives each of the panelists an opportunity to talk a little bit about where they're from. Scott, where, where, what church you work with? I'm in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Well, I live about eight miles out of town, but that's the uh, congregation I'm working with in Gettysburg. Great. And uh, Jonathan, you're with uh, Scott down there, right? Uh, yeah, we both work at the uh, same church with the same group there. Uh, I'm on the opposite side of the county so uh we're actually about 30 minutes apart now but in the same general area so. okay great and steven where are you at working in harrisburg pennsylvania the capital but certainly not the largest city in pennsylvania are you familiar Ch chase is on the program on wednesday and he's also from harrisburg but you ever notice the way jeff says that and introduces him harris townburg or something like that crazy <laughs> I'm trying not, to, I shouldn't even try to go there. Then I'll be the one. I'm glad you're all here. And everyone in, uh, living in those areas, I want to reach out to any of these gentlemen. Uh, uh, you can contact them all through the BibleQuest.tv forum page. Just put in your thoughts and questions there. Okay, Scott, uh, why don't you bring us into the discussion? What are we talking about today? All right, we've got a question that was submitted, and I don't have it written in written form in front of me. So one of you that does, uh, please read the question for us. Good question. Okay, I have it right here. Um, uh, can, you, can you talk about the changes in society over the last 50 years? Discuss the consequences and the benefits, if any. Thank you. Okay, so society has changed a lot in, in the last 50 years. It's changed immensely in the last 100 years. Uh, and that brings both challenges and opportunities. Some of the changes have been for the better. Uh, a number of changes have been for the worse. Uh, but it, we need to be aware of what's going around on around us. We need to be sheep in the midst of wolves. Uh, but it's, it's good to be aware because if we keep raising our children and keep operating with the mindset that we're living in the 30s or 40s or 50s and not noticing that we're living in the 21st century with a new set of, of things, dominant cultural things, undermining things, then we're going to be blindsided. We need to be aware of it. I, I, I want to add something. Um, 
the gentleman, Merton, he submitted that question. He's a few years older than me. And so he saw more changes though than I did. But then I started realizing that Jonathan is a number of years younger than me. And he hasn't seen the changes that we've seen, right? Scott, you're younger than me, but you've seen a lot more changes, even then from Stephen to Jonathan. So I guess some of the things we're talking about, I don't even know if Jonathan is aware of some of those changes. I'm, I'm assuming he's smart enough and has done a lot of study and research and seeing it all, but maybe he hadn't experienced those changes. And I think those of us that are senior citizens have seen more of the change. Yeah. Uh, but we'll start off here in a moment. And Stephen, did you have a hand up? Okay. Uh, we're going to start off here with just uh, an article or two about cultural changes. Not everything in these articles is going to be significant for our studies, but as we go through, we want to look at them from a biblical point of view and think about them, whether it be in our own lives or the direction of churches, or think about them in relationship to raising children in this culture. Because if you are, you know, if, if you live if you live in the woods in in the north, you don't need to worry about, you know, getting blistered as if you live in Mississippi or Louisiana or Texas or, or Florida. You know, where you live makes a difference to some of the dangers that you face. Now, that's a physical danger, but there's a lot of cultural dangers and cultural opportunities. So we want to look at those. And let's begin with this one right here. Um, right now I'm disabled on screen sharing. So if somebody could fix that for me. Oh, should be good now. Sorry. All right. And there we go. So this is a uh, foundation for economic education. Since this question came in, I just pulled up a couple of things here. Six stats that show how much American culture has changed in half a century. This is from the book Coming Apart by Charles Murray, uh, draws on different research. Um, let's begin with number one. Marriage was practically universal, divorce extraordinarily rare. In the 1963 current population survey, a divorced person headed just 3.5% of American households with another 1.6 headed by a separated person. Today, 28% of children live in single parent homes according to government statistics. And I'm surprised that number is not higher. Let me see what, uh, okay, this is from 2019. Um, so let's begin there. Uh, marriage, it's definitely changed a lot in this culture. What are some things we need to be doing because of this? Well, I think number one, the first thing uh, is protecting our own marriages um, the best way that we can. Uh, marriage is not um, a particularly high value. I've noticed uh, in, in my age bracket, a lot of the um, people who I went to school with um, around my age, around in uh, early, mid-20s, um, most of them have a significant other, um, but aren't married, um, live together, which I think is kind of picks up on number two, the out of wedlock births, yep. um, that's on that list. Um, but it's just, it's not something that you do. Um, now ma marriage isn't, isn't something that people aspire to. Um, and it's actually probably more of a drag, I think in society 
than the blessing that it was intended to be. Um, and so the value of marriage has just gone down a lot. Um, why? Why has marriage, you know, why is it less important today? There's several, there's not just one right answer to this, it's several. Why is marriage less important to people today? I'll give you an example firsthand here. As you all know, I just recently got married in February, and uh, I'm, I'm a senior. I'm above retired age. And when I was sharing that uh, with a, 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 another a woman that was in the apartment house that I lived in before getting married, she goes, you're getting married. Why don't you just live together? Why do you do that? And now this was a religious woman who I've had conversations with. And she went to church, uh, one of the denominations. And I said, well, it's wrong. She goes, it's not a sin anymore. Wow. I said, it's not a sin anymore. Yeah, in fact, you'll make more money. The government is, it's okay to do it now. I said, no, the scriptures didn't change. Right. And that's what it is. The, the, it's more or less society accepting it and government in, in, in favoring it. You, you, you something about, so I don't even know what the issue is. Well, but she says you'll have less taxes to pay if you just live together and both get all your money. I don't understand that part of it, but I was, I was shocked. And, I, and she knew I was a preacher of the gospel. And I says, no, you have to do the right thing. The look on her face was, you're from another planet, Drew. So let's begin with those things that the Bible teaches. Uh, let's hit a few passages. I'm going to begin with Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. And while I'm turning there, I do want to make this point. What it's going to say here doesn't mean that everybody needs to be married. Jesus wasn't married. Paul wasn't married. But they were celibate. And, and Paul talks about the advantages of his life as one that was celibate. And he was able to do a lot of good. Uh, and so it's not that everybody needs to be married, but if somebody wants that significant other in their life, if somebody wants to be in a one flesh relationship, it needs to be in marriage. So here's that passage, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse four. Let marriage be had in honor among all, and let the bed be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And just in case somebody's not sure what a fornicator is, uh, what's the difference or relationship between the word fornicator and adultery? One is of a married relationship. If you're married and, and have sexual immorality, that's adultery, right? And if you're not married, it's called fornication. Okay. Uh, adultery is in violation of a marriage. So you could be not in a marriage, but with sleeping with someone that's married to someone else, that's adultery. You're violating that marriage. You'd be in a marriage and just leave your spouse and join another person and that uh, adultery. Um, but fornication is illicit sexual relations, whether you're married or not. For instance, in First Corinthians 5, a man that's committing uh, a, a relationship that would have been adulterous. It says you're committing a type of fornication even Gentiles know with his father's wife. So fornication is the broader term, which would include hooking up, one night stands, people just living together, etc. Uh, let's have a couple other passages on what the Bible says about marriage, say in Genesis, and what Jesus said about divorce. Well, in the in the beginning, God 
created marriage. So in Genesis chapters one and two, he creates man, says it's not good that man should be alone. And so out of the rib of man creates woman and says at the end of Genesis chapter two, therefore man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. And Jesus quotes from that uh, idea uh, and that verse in Matthew chapter 19, whenever he's being questioned um, by the Pharisees and the Pharisees ask in Matthew 19 verse three, uh, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate or let not man separate. So Jesus makes it really clear. Um, God designed this from the very beginning. Um, when you be, When you're married, you become one flesh don't end that. <laughs> don't separate that. This is God's design um, and, and what he's had from the beginning. And it's something that's very good. Um, God, God said it's not good <laughs> that man should be alone. It is a good thing to be married, which is kind of the opposite message of the culture, like what Drew was talking about. No, there are way more benefits to not being married. Well, not according to the scriptures and not according to God's plan. Let me give an analogy. Years ago, people in the United States, when an appliance broke, they would have an appliance repairman, or if they knew how to do it themselves, they'd go to the hardware store and they'd get the part, the tube for the radio or the whatever for the TV or the washer, you know, the belt or whatever, and they fixed their item. We have a culture that is more and more disposable. Uh, you know, if you've got a baby, uh, we, we had raised six babies, and uh, I'll tell you what, I, I personally really like disposable diapers. <laughs> like being able to just throw that out. Uh, disposable napkins are fine with me. I don't mind disposable plates, forks, whatever. And appliances today, when somebody's washer or dryer or TV quits working, how many people try to fix it? We oh. throw it out and get another one. And that's now how people are treating marriage. The people who are married very often treat that way. Let me, let me give a couple of statistics. About half of marriages end in divorce of those when there's a remarriage about two-thirds of those end in divorce of those when there is another remarriage about 75 percent of those end in divorce if there's not a respect for marriage to begin with it doesn't tend to get better uh in, in a lot of ways so why did well, like why would this woman say why get married? Well, for one thing, you don't have to make a commitment. People want the benefits of the male-female relationship that God made. For this reason, shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife; the two shall become one flesh. They want the benefits of that relationship without responsibility. Other thoughts on that. In Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Paul talks about marriage and what God created that relationship to be, and it's supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. And when we try to take away the responsibilities, we really gut marriage of what it's supposed to be about. And husbands are told in Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then fathers are told in the very next passage, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
the, the family is really the fundamental building block of culture and society and it leads to government and like lots of other things but when there's a breakdown of the home when people fail to appreciate marriage and then fail to appreciate parenthood you, it just ends with there's all sorts we're, we're seeing around us the fruits yes. of what happens in that situation but what god created from the beginning was not just for the husband and wife but for the children to have a stable environment where they're being disciplined, they're being instructed, they're being protected and given stability with which to function every other realm of their life. And it's a tremendous advantage when things are done God's way and we see the fruits of that and we see the fruits of what happens or what is happening in our world right now. So let's take a look at number two. Out of wedlock births almost never happen, especially in white families. Among whites, illegitimacy ratio is only 3%. Uh, today, birth rate for unmarried women of all races is 40%. So that's about four out of 10 babies born are born out of marriage. Now, so when the man is not committed to the woman, then not surprisingly, many times he's also not committed to the child. Uh, in Malachi, we see the picture of the man who has, as his wife has gotten older, he's, he's left her aside, uh, as often happens. A man, a uh, selfish man will treat a wife like a used car, get a different model. And, and, and it talks about the tears of the wives who the, had been betrayed by the husband of their youth. They married him when he was young, and when she's not young anymore, you know, he does away with her. Well, children are getting left aside as well. And so you've got women who have made themselves far too available to unworthy and unprincipled and uncommitted men. Then children, and, and what I've been describing is when they marry and divorce. But in today's society, as we're getting into here, a lot, there's never any commitment in the first place. It was at a party or, or coming out of a club or whatever, and uh, you end up, with a child that the father not only is not training and raises, he doesn't even want to be involved in the child's life. What are some things happen? Uh, we, we started alluding to it more specifically. What are some of the tragedies that have happened in our culture as a result of fathers being absent? I've got a quote here that I was reading recently um, from the book resolution for men and it just in the first chapter is talking about uh some of the fallout of fatherlessness in our culture um it, it talks about the effect on young men and the effect on young women uh, it says this current generation of young men doesn't know what it means to be a man or to be a mature responsible leader or to be a strong and engaged father one day society is guiding boys to remain boys as long as possible extending childhood into their 30s while forcing girls to become women long before they're ready. Instead of growing up, getting married, and courageously raising up the next generation, millions of young men are staying single, remaining emotionally and directionally dependent on their mothers, while becoming addicted to entertainment, pornography, and video games. They want the privileges and rewards of manhood, but only the responsibilities and moral requirements of boys. So when they become fathers themselves, they don't know what to do and they feel extremely ill-equipped. Young women, likewise, are entering life without a deep sense of value and worth. Rather than displaying feminine charm, modesty, and grace, 
many have become nearly, if not equally, as rude and unrestrained as the stereotypical guy. They are told to act like and outdo men as much as possible. Flirty, immodest, and aggressive, they stay on a constant search for acceptance and attention, things they haven't been freely given by the one man in their life whose love and approval they really want. And so millions of teenage girls auction away their priceless virginity every year for a pizza, a movie, and some on-the-spot flattery. Each of them hopes that being held for a few minutes by a porn-addicted teenage boy with raging hormones will somehow fill the dark canyon of love that her disengaged father has left aching inside her heart. And it never does. The consistently missing piece of the puzzle? Fathers. And that is a chillingly accurate description of what's happening right now. Yes. And the missing piece is fathers. It has a tremendous impact on sons who don't have a, an example to look up to. And it has a tremendous impact on daughters who don't have the love and acceptance and self-worth that comes from a father's love and approval. Absolutely. Um, I want to make a point. First, I want to qualify. It's not that there's no fornication among young people that are raised with a father and a mother. It's not that, well, if, if we stay married, you know, our children, you know, will never commit fornication. That's not a guarantee. There's other things that need to be taught. There's other thing, boundaries that need to be respected, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's all another discussion. But the degree to which the father being absent contributes to promiscuity is immense. Uh, for males, so if you grow up in a home with a father and a mother where a man has left his father and mother and he cleaves to his wife and the two become one flesh, children are, are the blessing of children come in that relationship and they're both there and the mom is there loving her husband loving her children being a submission to her husband the father is there training up the children and nurture and admonition of the lord there's a security there that is missing when the father's not there jonathan do you have a comment then i'm going to come back to that go ahead uh, yeah, just really quick. Um, there's a comment that came in um, from one of the viewers um, that kind of ties this together, kind of maybe where some of these ideas have come from. Uh, Albert says, Hollywood has glamorized the single life of men having multiple yeah. relationships with women. And uh, the true lack of what love is, to many, it's a good and happy feeling. And when it subsides, that means love is no more. And then a search for this happy, good feeling begins again. And that's, you know, you see that in movies, you see that in, in all kinds of different TV shows and things like that of, you know, that, that single life is the glamorized idea on which contributes to these things. And, but all along, the, the, the road is littered with these broken homes. And so these children, while mom and dad is trying to find their new happiness, you know, that'll last, what, three months or three years or three weeks. And then again and again, where's this child? Where's that father? So with, with a male, this is one of, the, one of the significant causes leading to homosexuality. Again, this is not an absolute. This doesn't mean if you don't have a father, you're going to be a homosexual. It doesn't mean that at all. But there's that yearning, there's that aching, that wishing, I wish my dad cared about me. So I'll, I'll describe very briefly. Um, one woman was describing her son and, and her husband's relationship. Now, late in life, they got back together. Uh, and her husband uh, came back to her and he became Christian before he passed away and such. But when he was young, he wasn't a Christian, he wasn't doing right. And he didn't love that child and he left. 
that child ended up in a very, very depraved homosexual lifestyle, a very promiscuous, very risky, very dangerous. The mother hasn't heard from the child in years, and for years has assumed the child may be dead. But when the child was young, he was had to go to a reform school. He'd been rejected by his father as a baby. Um, and he had to go to some type of reform school, and there were security officials there. And he, t as a little guy, he told his mom one time, he said, do you know why I act bad at school? So those men will hold me. There's no, it's not affection, it's not care, it's not love, but there was some men there in authority who, when you acted up, would hold you. And he wanted that so much and missed it so much, he would misbehave in school to get that. Can you see then how that plays in and makes him vulnerable, a person like that vulnerable to be taken advantage of by say a pedophile uh, priest or a scoutmaster or any other person or, or an older teenager who's also been violated and stuff. And with females, if uh, uh, you, you've probably often heard the uh, term of, of a very worse woman, loose woman and daddy issues. If daddy didn't care about her, sometimes the child, in fact, think about it. When people have gotten divorced, who often thinks it's their fault? The kids. Yeah, it's not. It's not the kid's fault. And here's a little girl who dad doesn't care. Dad's gone. He's not there. He doesn't care about her. And it makes her feel unworthy. She's not unworthy. She's not the problem. You know, it's that man that refused to take responsibility. And yet in that unworthiness, she's got this desire that older for an older man to value her and pay attention to her. Well, guess what? She turns as an adolescent starts noticing that she can get older males attention by dressing or acting a certain way. And, and, and it leads to all sorts of problems. Jonathan. Another comment that comes in um, from Jack. He says, we also live in a world that attacks men. The idea of a man leading the house is looked on as male power. Uh, they try to shut it down and point where men do not, uh, to the point where men do not know what to do and are afraid to step up into the role that God has assigned. Um, and I think that's a significant thing from culture, but also just from, from having broken families. Um, one of the benefits of a not broken family is for the children to see an example in their life of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. And then they can do that when they grow up. Um, my dad, um, he, he uh, grew up in, in a broken home. Um, his father figure wasn't really there. Um, he was, but, but more concerned with alcohol and things like that. Um, and he's often said to me, um, he apologized to me and my brother a couple of times. I remember whenever we were younger saying that uh, he's made a lot of mistakes as a father, but he was kind of at a double disadvantage because uh, he didn't grow up learning Christian values, learning you know, what it means to be a father, what his role is from God. And also he didn't have an example of a father. So he was kind of doubly disadvantaged in that. And it really was that way most of his life until he was in high school when he was kicked out of his house um, and went to go live with one of his friends he played football with who by chance was a Christian. And uh, the, his father, a man named Calvin Johnson, kind of became my dad's father. And my dad's life like totally changed <laughs> when that moved. That was one of, the, one of the hardest things was one of the best things for my dad because then he had a man in his life that 
you know, feared God, understood what it meant to be a man, and taught him what it means to be a man. Um, and a lot of kids don't get that. They don't have a man that teaches them how to be a man. I want to come back to that idea in a minute, because that's so important. But first, Stephen? Yeah, and just thinking about this biblically, it's interesting that in the time of Judges is one of the darkest times in Israel's history. And one of the judges that's often brought up uh, is Deborah. But what's interesting about the story of Deborah is that there's a man there who's supposed to be taking the lead, but doesn't fully take the lead. Barak, nobody remembers Barak. Everybody remembers Deborah because Barak was a wimp. And it's during a time in Israel's history when the men are not doing what they're supposed to do. There's no king in Israel. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. But what's also fascinating is contrasting that with the behavior of Boaz in the book of Ruth. And that is during the same time frame of the judges and thinking about what a great example that Boaz is of what a man is supposed to be in protecting the weak and the helpless and just seeing what a blessing that is to a helpless family where all the men had died. And again, you can do a whole study on that, but just looking biblically at that, you can see the effects of the absence of a man yep. and the presence of a man. Very good. Drew, did you have a comment? You're muted right now, Drew. Sorry about that. Yeah, I was going to bring up with Jonathan. Jonathan had actually uh, beat me to it, the thing in Judges. But that's the problem that we're seeing here. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, discounting what the uh, what God has said and do things according to his eyes. And that was, I guess I was going to bring that up later, but that's really the root of why we're going way off base, doing it what's in our eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there are a couple more comments along these ideas. Um, Carolyn said coming from a broken home and watching the way people were treating each other. I grew up believing that this is how men were and it was okay. Um, so being in relationships, I thought that uh, what happens with my parents, what happens with my parents was okay until I became a Christian. I would see couples and think that this is weird, um, but then learn that this is God's way. And so it gave me hope. And uh, now I know how I grew up was opposite of God's way. Um, CJ said, we need both parents to be the perfect picture of family. Um, but if we don't, we will not get the full experience of the home. The father and the mother need to be there to nurture the child. Uh, it's not enough to just have only one parent. Both parents help the child's development. So if we stick to the, God's plan, the home is complete. Um, uh, and I think that's absolutely right. A lot of the broken homes um, that have children in them um, are single mothers. They're single fathers, but most of them are single mothers. And man, um, single mothers have a tough job. Um, and that's not how it's supposed to be. Um, because a child needs both their mother and their father to grow up in the healthy way that God designed. Can I, can I add something to that or ask a question relating to that? Um, so here you have that situation, and I, a lot of people can identify with what Caroline said. So she came to the truth, I'm assuming, if this is a Caroline, and I think I know. And so she has the pain of that childhood behind her, but now she knows the truth. So a lot of the problems that we're facing is because of that family breakdown, obviously. We learn bad things, but we can overcome them, right? I mean, as a child of God, we can now realize the truth and we, we can identify, well, you know what? Our true father loves us. 
through Jesus Christ. We can have that relationship of our father and let that background baggage, for lack of a better word, that is harming us. We can overcome that, right, Scott? Yes. And I want to get three points here. I'll try to make them kind of succinctly and then take them, guys, and discuss them further in detail, whichever way you want to go. But there are so many people that didn't get to grow up in the type of home God wanted them to get to grow up in. And that's one reason. Have you ever noticed how when people in the media and academia and stuff talk about television shows from years ago, like Leave it to Beaver, they'll say, it never was that way. It never was that way. Well, a lot of people grew up in homes with an alcoholic father or, you know, adulterous parent or other things, and they think that's fiction. Well, it's not fiction. There's, there's, there's lots of husbands and wives that love each other and love their children, but that's kind of resented by a lot of people who think it never was like that. It should be like that. Number two, there's a lot of people in situations now, whether by death, or by abandonment by somebody that didn't keep the covenant or, or whatever, who are now trying to raise a child by themselves. What do you do? Well, I tell you, I tell you it's like this. Uh, one of my friends in college, he had one leg. He had one leg because in a motorcycle accident, he lost the other one. It's not that he wished he had one leg. He would have been happy to have had two legs, but he didn't but he learned to do amazing things with that one leg. He used to drive my, my car, which was a you know manual four on the floor. Uh, he could go bowling. He could do all sorts of things. And so when somebody's doing that, help them and, and realize it can be done. You're at a disadvantage. You're, you're pushing a rock uphill instead of on even ground. You're at a disadvantage, but work hard and do it real quick. Paul Earnhardt, a man that so many of us know and love, if you've ever heard him talk about his family, the father was out of the picture early, but his mother was there for him. So it can be done. Third point I want to introduce, and it ties into what Jonathan mentioned. Be the man to help somebody else. James 1.27, pure religion is keep oneself on spot the world and visit the fatherless and the widows. Be the guy... What was the name of the fellow that helped your dad? Uh, Cal Calvin Johnson. There are so many people that have somebody like that in their life where their dad wasn't somebody that they could count on, but some other man stepped up and provided guidance. And, you know, whether it's taking him fishing, whether it's, you know, spending time with him, pointing him in the right direction, watch for young people that need somebody like that and help them. Stephen. A great biblical illustration of both of these points is the life of Timothy. Timothy, we find out from Acts 16, his mother, Eunice, is a believer, but his father's a Greek. Now, it doesn't give us a lot of detail there, but it seems very clear that his mom was a believer and his father was not. Now, again, he still has both parents there, but that's an incredibly hard situation as well. That's a disadvantaged situation spiritually if only one of your parents is trying to bring you up in the ways of the Lord. But yet, Paul commends that faith that he saw in Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, and is now in Timothy. She did not give up. She overcame her disadvantage and did the best that she could with Timothy. But another beautiful thing is that Paul took Timothy under his wink, and he describes him as his true son in the faith. 
and Paul invests in Timothy and invests in Timothy. And then he tells Timothy, now you go and the things I've taught you, you teach to other faithful men and they'll teach others also. And there was a man in Timothy's life who took him in and just poured himself into him. And we see the tremendous good that's done through Timothy in the New Testament. But we sometimes forget the type of environment that Timothy came from. And again, that's not to say that that's the ideal environment. Of course it's not. But we see God's people stepping in and providing what Timothy lacked. You know, it's also interesting that you mentioned James 1. Um, the book I was reading pointed this out as well, is that what do the fatherless and widows have in common? They're missing the man in their life, whether it's their father or whether it's their husband. And those are the people that we're told, you watch out for those people. If they don't have a man in their life, yes. you go be that person for them. You help them, you watch out for them. And again, we can't perfectly fill the role that God designed fathers and husbands to fill for someone else, but we can sure help. Um, Jesus talks about if you leave father or mother, or husband or wife, you know, you'll receive that back in the church. The church is supposed to be a place where the fatherless find fathers. And we find people to support and nourish those kinds of relationships that many times we don't have in the world. And I love that those descriptions of the family of, of God in, in the scriptures, that's what we need to strive to be. I was uh, just coming back to culture for a minute. I saw a clip last night of Denzel Washington. I don't know what year, uh, but sometime in the last few years. And he was discussing race and crime and different things. And he was talking about the fellows that he grew up with that ended up going to prison. He said, they didn't have a dad. He said, I had parents that cared about me and pointed me in the right direction. He said, they didn't. It, it, it makes such a difference. And let me tell you, whoever's out there listening to this, you may have grown up in an abusive household. You may have grown up in an alcoholic household. You may have grown up not knowing who your father was. Be, be the one that changes the direction. Um, in, in an alcoholic home, if an alcoholic has three or four kids, are some of those kids probably going to be alcoholics? Yes. There's also a chance that somebody in that family is going to do what? Break the cycle. They don't want, they're not going to be, yeah, I'll have a couple of beers. They've seen, you know, where that goes. They don't want to have anything to do with it. Be the one that changes. I'll come back to that in a minute, Steve. I just heard a, a lyric in a song one time that stuck with me to that effect. And it asks a question, can we lend a better hand than the one that we've been dealt? And I like that thought oh. is that, and that's what the gospel equips us to do. We can lend a better hand than the one that we've been dealt. Instead of being a victim, we can allow the Lord to fill us up and then push out to help others. I was blessed to have two wonderful parents that loved each other and loved us. But in any family, if you go back a ways, you get to a point where there was, there was chaos and somebody decided to do something better. So my great grandfather on one side, uh, maternal, maternal great grandfather, abandoned his family. I think it was probably during the depression. 
uh, it was a terribly, terribly abusive, adulterous, and then abandoned the family, which left the family destitute. And he finally came to a miserable end, I think in 1941, somebody shot and killed him. And I don't know that anybody much mourned it. Um, but that doesn't have to be the way it keeps going. And so whatever situation you're in today, realize we're in this culture. And as you're raising your children, please don't just let them watch anything, let them wear anything, let them go anywhere, let them listen to anything and assume that culture isn't going to take them in bad directions. Help them decide to be the men and women that God wants them to be. So. Yeah, a couple of other comments along those lines, too. Uh, Albert said that uh, the gospel message paints the proper picture and the image of how we are to be and can be as we commit to the picture of that image. So the, the answers for how to live, how to be a man, how to be a mother, how to be a child, um, all of these different things, they're in the scriptures, they're in God's word. Uh, and that's the, the standard that we need to be holding and, and helping people to see. Uh, and then Carolyn says, too, and I think this is a point kind of like what you were making, Scott, um, if uh, a Christian doesn't help that child or teenager or whoever else, um, they'll try to find the love out in the world. Um, somebody is going to pull the people in. <laughs> Some source is going to pull the people in. Um, there was, uh, I think it was a sermon that I heard. I don't remember. I think it was about parenting. Um, it might have been a podcast. But um, the quote um, that the man said um, was he was going through this list of things. Um, and he said, you know, as a parent, do you know who your child's best friend is? As a parent, do you know what your child's worst fear is? As a parent, do you know what your child's biggest weakness is? And all these lists kinds of things. And are these things that like a disengaged parent wouldn't know. And then he said, do you know who does know that? And he says, Satan knows those things about your child. And if you don't find them out and help, oh, wow. Satan can take advantage of all of those things. Um, and that was just a really powerful picture, I think. Um, and I think a really, really good point. Um, if you don't reach out and help, they're going to go somewhere. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah. Let me throw out one word of caution. I wish it wasn't necessary, but I, I think it is. We don't need to be selfish people that say, well, me and my family are okay. Too bad about everybody else. We need to be people that are looking to help the fathers and the widows. We need to make your home a place so that other people can see, oh, that, that's how it should be. It has a tremendous drawing power for the gospel. But be careful because the amount of depravity is out there. And we didn't get into the cultural change of the computer age, which has brought endless perversion and endless images for pedophiles. There are a great number of pedophiles in our culture now. And those pedophiles are preying on children, some of which are victims, but some of which then turn around and prey on children younger than them. As you're bringing people into your home, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Don't just assume that you can make your home a haven for anybody and everybody and allow them to be alone with your children or your children be alone with their children and not understand some of the dangers in there be a light to the world, but don't let your children get burned. It can happen like that. So be very careful, but at the same time, offering an island of hope and, 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 and strength for other people. 
Final comments, anybody? We had a couple more quick comments come in. Um, CJ said, speaking from experience with my dad, faithful and my dad not, it is incredibly hard to serve God being there in that background, but it can be done, although it is incredibly hard to. But if you keep your eyes on the Lord, anything is possible. But it is definitely better to make sure not, I think he means like to not be unequally yoked with un unbelievers. And Cassandra says, I really like that comment about how Satan knows our children. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Um, well, we're getting close to the end of our time. Anything else that you guys want to say uh, or point out while we wrap up? Uh, I just want to add that uh, there are a lot of items on that list we didn't cover yet. So, Scott, you might want to consider continuing with some of these thoughts next time on the changes, because we, we're talking about really the sources of the changes or the causes of the changes. Maybe we got to look a little closer at some of those changes and then realize how the scripture what the scripture teaches about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we could absolutely right. keep going through that list. Um, if there are any other questions or comments uh, or things that you all have uh, in our audience, uh, again, you can submit those to BibleQuest.tv. Uh, we'll be happy to talk about all of those things. Um, the fact of the matter is, and I think what this all boils down to and kind of what we, we want our show to be based on is we need to get back and look at what the Bible says, what the scriptures say. One of the big problems that our culture is facing right now is they're kind of getting rid of religion, getting rid of God, um, and all these other problems are going to sprout out because of those things. Um, so if you have any questions or yeah. anything, um, biblical yeah. topics or things, um, you know, please let us know about that. We'd be happy to discuss those on the web or privately. Um, anything that you guys want to say before we wrap up? All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for your discussion this afternoon, and we will see you all next week, Lord willing.